Welcome to the People of Packaging Podcast. I am so glad you are here. This is Adam Peak. I am your host. You can find me at Packaging Pastor on TikTok or PackagingPastor.com. Listen, this show would not be made possible without some incredible companies and people, including you, our longtime sponsor, Specrite. Specrite wants you to imagine a world without waste. They were just named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies. That is incredible. Packaging is truly amazing. Go learn more at specrite.com, S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T.com. And also our newest sponsor, Spark Packaging. If you need contract to hire support or you're looking to hire directly for industry professionals, Spark Packaging can help. You can go to Spark Packaging Inc. That's S P A R K P A C K A G I N G I N C dot com backslash hiring. And if you're like, I'm driving, I can't write that down. It's cool. It's in the show notes, anyways. Spark Packaging Inc. dot com backslash hiring. They're there to answer your questions, and a team member will reach out ASAP. Whether you talk to Specrite or Spark Packaging, whatever it is, or if you just go to my website, just let them know that I have sent you. Okay. How's that for, that's the shortest, most condensed version that I can get. I'm going to be coming out with some more member only premium content. I've been teasing this for a while. Uh, and make sure that you're signed up at my Substack page as well, building a community of packaging professionals who want to build online together. You can do that at packagingisawesome.com. Okay. Enough. It's been two minutes. Let's get to this next episode. All right, everyone. I am joined here on the People of Packaging podcast by my my newest friend in the packaging industry, as we have now known each other for approximately 16 minutes. Uh, but I'm joined by Clark Goolsby. Clark is the Chief Creative Officer at Chase Design Group. Clark, thanks for coming on my podcast here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always find that this is the weirdest transition is the like pre-call banter where I talk sort of normally and then I have to get yes. into like excited podcast voice for the right right like, yes. oh, man I'm on a podcast now I don't I don't think I've ever like brought that up how awkward it is for me but it it's, it is like a okay it's podcast time I got to be podcast guy <laughs> right exactly the uh, the professional switch flips there it's uh, it, and literally right I have to actually flip yes you're literally flipping a switch yeah. in order for it in order for it to happen well clark uh, i appreciate it. i think we're gonna have an awesome awesome conversation based on uh, some of the directions that we hope this goes for those of you who don't know about kind of the inner workings of my podcast i don't know about everyone's but it's a bit of a choose your own adventure and so in some cases this is like this is the first time clark and i really had a conversation and so we are going to uh, if you remember those books we're going to choose our own adventure and we're going to see where this goes uh, so, Clark, let's start with who are you and how did you get into being a chief creative officer? Well, that's a long story, but I'll, I'll start I'll start with my kind of origin speed, and design we're story. Dating. Yeah, yeah, we're speed so, dating. Yeah. <clears throat> the summer before uh, between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I was working. My dad worked for this company that manufactured things out of plastic. I was working in the warehouse. He was my ride to and from. And he was uh, kind of in charge of marketing for this company. And so he, they were developing a website. 
and I had to tag along with him. He left work early to go meet with the web developers. And it was a small little company in Northern California. And, um, you know, I sat through the meeting and at the very end of the meeting, my dad says, Hey, are you guys hiring? My son's really creative. Cause I'd always drawn and painted and I taught myself Photoshop at that point. And, and it was literally just two guys and they were like, uh, maybe like send us your book. And of course I didn't have a book. I mean, I just had like a bunch of random stuff I had made in Photoshop. And so I just put all that together. I sent it to them and they're like, sure, we'll pay you like 10 bucks an hour for the summer. Perfect. Um, and so I worked all summer with these guys and, um, kind of learned web design and this is like early web design we were making websites that were about 600 pixels wide at the time i mean it was like very rudimentary this is very much dating me but um it's fine i had a and, myspace page it's good yeah this was like early early websites yeah and uh i ended up working for them all summer and then things were going so well they said hey can you uh continue to work for us when you go back to school and so i went to school and i telecommuted for them kind of in my spare time you know like a freelancer would today and um and then that kind of transitioned into another design job uh in san diego where i was going to school and I worked with that company for my whole time, the whole rest of my time in college. And then, and I went to school as an art major. I didn't major in design. So I really learned design through doing it professionally. Um, and then basically I was able to turn that into working in the industry pretty easily because I'd had, you know, three plus years of, of real design experience coming out of college, which, you know, for a lot of people getting into design, you know, they don't have that kind of experience. So it's a little bit of a harder transition sometimes. Yeah, I bet. Uh, where'd you go to school in San Diego? I went to UC San Diego. All right. Got it. Yeah. So my, uh, my sister went to Point Loma down there. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the home of beautiful campuses, uh, San Diego. It's like, it's hard to go wrong. It's, it's pretty amazing. Is any, is, so I've never actually been to the Pepperdine campus, but I've heard that that's like the, the campus to end all beautiful campuses. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. It's incredible. It, yeah. Like Point Loma was nice, but I've heard like everyone told me like, yeah, but Pepperdine. I'm like, oh, Pepperdine, okay. I think may win the award. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, not to not to disparage my uh, Colorado State University, which is the Harvard of the Rockies. Uh, beautiful Fort Collins is awesome, but it's you're not quite looking out over the ocean. Yeah, um, exactly. But uh, Horse Tooth Reservoir does have its perks. Uh, OK, <laughs> so so you get into design um you said your your dad was working in a for a, a company that designed plastic was it packaging no it was it was actually uh they were manufacturing plastic but not like packaging stuff like injection molding or any of that it was uh like museum display boxes and things where it was like oh, cutting yeah. and assembling plastic things and um and i was in the warehouse i was doing the most manual labor just lifting sheets of plastic all day so yeah, my one of my first jobs, I sat back in a warehouse folding boxes, like actual, yes. like just assembling folding cartons for a couple hours. So I totally get it. Yeah, um, that's kind of what this was. And so you have a background, it sounds like, in physical art, like we were talking about yeah. before, Joe, you've done a lot of fine art kind of yeah. painting. Yeah. How was it, is that an easy transition to go from having that kind of physical artistic eye to then translating that into digital? You know, it's funny. I think for me it was, and I think I've been lucky like a lot of the places I've worked, but like, for example, at Chase and, you know, Margo, the founder was always a great illustrator, very hands-on 
And she started in a world like pre-computers with design. So she would be doing these logos and lettering all by hand. And so when I started at Chase, I had a lot of work in my book where I would be making things analog and then, you know, mixing them with digital. And I think that really sparked with her. Um, and so that, that was, I feel like we do that truthfully less than we used to now. Um, you know, where it's like, we're using procreate versus doing it the hard way by hand, <laughs> not always, but more often. And, um, but when I started, I mean, I think that's how we did so much of our work and we had a lot of texture in our work. So it was like scanning things and, you know, combining stuff that was made by hand. And, um, so that, so that was, I mean, luckily I think, you know, starting to work with Margo made that transition really easy. Got it. And how long have you been at Chase? Oof. Uh, I think I officially started in 2006 as a freelancer and then I was hired like January of 2007 full-time. So officially full-time, I guess about 16 years if I can do math. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's great. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm guessing, have you done various types of roles within Chase or were you just like, you're the chief creative officer? No, no, I started. So when I started, Margo was in that role and, um, and worked with Margo closely for a number of years in LA. And then I, I moved to New York. I was actually planning on leaving Chase, uh, cause my wife got a job and we were going to move across the country and <clears throat> I thought maybe I'd go back to school and get my MFA and like really focus on painting. And, and Margo kind of had different plans. She was like, how about instead you go and like open a New York office for us? And so I thought that was a really interesting opportunity. And so I opened New York and helped that grow. Um, and then ultimately Margo passed away actually tragically, uh, in 2017, Mm. Um, and at that time I kind of took over her role. Um, it was, it, the plan was, as I was going to do that when she was ready to retire anyway, it just happened a lot sooner than I think we were anticipating. So, yeah, that's tough. Um, and where are you at in, in the city then? So I'm physically not in the city. I'm actually in the suburbs in Westchester, but, um, oh, the, the office is, we just actually moved, but we're right by, um, Grand Central now, which is nice for people commuting in so it's, it's it takes a few minutes off the off the commute random connection uh, i have two sisters one of them went to college at point loma the other one went to college at nyack in oh uh, okay yeah outside and uh, yeah i think she lived in westchester county i feel like <laughs> so but... yeah nyack is basically just across the hudson river from where i am more or less it's like right there yeah it was it was cool i don't think that that's uh I don't think that campus is is open any longer. Actually, where she went. Oh, to. okay. Yeah. Either way, um, well, that's that's interesting. And so, I want to take a quick break here to remind you of our sponsor, Go Ruby, G O R U V I dot com. We know it can be hard to eat enough fruits and vegetables. They take time to prep. They're messy and they don't always taste good. But without them, you lack energy and vitality. Ruby is an easier, tastier way to get your fruits and veggies. You simply pour the freeze-dried powder into a shaker bottle with water. You shake and drink. My family and I have been just devouring these things since the first time we got them. Such a simple way when you're on the go to get the nutrients that you need. So remember, it's GoRuby.com. Use promo code PACKAGING to get 15% off. GoRuby.com promo code packaging let's get back to the interview uh let's maybe transition a little bit into like chase design group like what uh, what is it that you do or like what do you specialize in 
you know, why, why do people reach out to, to Chase for work? So uh, today I would say in large part, we do two things, which is branding and packaging. And those are kind of our two main um, areas of focus. Historically, Chase has done a lot of different things. Um, Margot started the company in entertainment. So, you know, it was film posters, record sleeves, things like that. We've done interior, we've done, you know, licensed product style guide. We've done a lot of different things and kind of bounced around. But over the last, I would say, decade, we've gotten more focused in packaging and branding. Um, so those are those are what we spend most of our energy on, but we still do some entertainment work. Um, we still get brought in to do, you know, something outside of those two main focuses, but I would say that's kind of the main thing today. And do you have a specific uh, kind of niche within branding and packaging? People are surprised when I tell them that there are like, like there are companies that only focus on like industrial packaging design sure. branding. And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, yep. You know, Elevator still has to have a brand. They still have to have packaging. There. Yeah, for sure. No, we're we're not that focused. We have a <clears throat> pretty broad range of things. You know, we do food and beverage. We do um, personal care. We do household care stuff like cleaning products. So it's a it's a pretty big mix of things. Got it. And when did the New York office open? Uh, Two thousand ten. Okay, got it. So you're uh, you're practically a New Yorker these days. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like Ed Koch, the the former mayor, said something like thirteen months, which seems incredibly short to become a New Yorker. But uh, I think a decade plus is 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 maybe starting to get there. Yeah, yeah, you're probably getting pretty close. Uh, okay, so you've got uh, that's it's an awesome sort of backstory. And I'm sure there's a whole lot of other things, but um, it sort of helps set the table for this question that that I've been kind of going through, which is there are, we see a lot of different trends and we can sort of take this any way we want to go, but you're sure. at the forefront of branding and packaging. So, um, you know, one of them has been the, like the transformation, like we talked about from digital, from physical to digital mm -hmm. seems to be going from like digital to digital with the advent of, you know, AI and, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I would, we could go down, that direction, if you're seeing any of the the brands and like, does it help you iterate things? I don't really know. But also that I've always thought like that idea has to pull from something that's already there. Like there's nothing new that's created. <clears throat> and so yeah. what are maybe the trends that might be driving? Like what are some new things that we're seeing in the physical space that are driving some of these uh, trends that even, even if it's a digital thing, even if it's a physical thing, whatever it is, like I tell people, I'm like artificial intelligence, it's got to pull from something that's already been made. It's mm -hmm. not, not creative. It's, it's just pulling data. So yeah. um, I don't know, e either one of those sound like an interesting direction to go in. I'm sure it's something that you guys uh, spend, spend a decent amount of time talking about when you're working with other brands on their, their branding and packaging. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if I'm answering your question directly here, but um, you know, what you started with was, you know, had me thinking about Procreate and kind of the um, you know, like the accessibility to professional tools that's out there today. And like, 
and 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 really one of the things that we see trend wise is like the language of procreate and how it's become just the dominant form for like all illustration i think in like in the professional world and and at this point i feel like there is um there are like many kind of procreate aesthetics that are out there that we're starting to see just almost like wearing out where it's like we've got to stay away from this like this has been done so much you know and and um and i think the other thing that's interesting about procreate is is the set of tools to your point about referencing analog, like how focused they are on recreating, you know, an analog thing, whether it's halftone patterns or color pencils or whatever, like all of the tools of Procreate are kind of designed to, to, to fool people into believing that it's like an analog form. Um, again, I don't know if that's where you're going, but no, no, made it's my head go there. To, I'll be, Cause I'm not a packaging designer, right? Like I don't, I don't spend any time like, as a actual designer, I spend a lot of time talking about the industry, a lot of material questions, sustainability, EPR, uh -huh. that sort of stuff. But when it comes to like taking an idea and having a blank slate and saying, we're going to give you some options, like I don't know how to, my brain doesn't really function that way. But yeah. it does seem like what I, what I have seen working for a manufacturer of printed packaging is there, there's a lot of like, sameness i guess like it seems like we have all of these tools we have all this creative it would seem like that would be leading towards different stuff yeah. but what i'm seeing when i go to the shelf and when i you know, like i'll make a tiktok video is like there's a lot there there are a few brands who really stand out but yeah. it seems like maybe some of these tools are leading towards like you know the same sorts of you know same kinds of colors like really there's almost like we're going to go towards safety yeah, and, and we're gonna conform with everyone else. Yeah, and I don't know. Is that am, am I off on that? No, I no. I think it's one of the things we struggle with because, you, as a packaging designer, I think you're always trying to balance being on trend and being relevant and kind of looking like you belong in a certain or, or even within a category, making sure that you're acknowledging the codes of that category so that you seem like a credible product within that category. But at the same time, trying to figure out how to make something that is unique and ownable within that space. And I, I think we're always balancing those two things. You know, we've worked on products. I can't get into specifics here because of NDA, but we've worked on products that borrowed codes kind of unintentionally from another category. And they failed because people would not even recognize it as being in the one category. They just kind of dismissed it automatically and just like it was, you know, it was like they could see it. Um, and so it, it is, I mean, it is definitely something that is, that is true. And, and, and like I said, on things like procreate, there's, there's so many things where it starts to take on, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I love procreate. I use it all the time. It's amazing. But like, there is an aesthetic almost coming out of that at this point. You know, another one that we see all the time is this, um, I'll, I'll name two brands that kind of have this look, but it, it's interesting, but I don't know if you know the brands Hymns and Dame. Yep. So, so Hymns is like a male, I think like ED stuff and baldness. I think they do a few different things. And Dame is like a, um, uh, it, it's targeted at women, but it's like a sex toy brand. Mm -hmm. But they both share like an incredibly similar aesthetic, which is really interesting. It's kind of this beige with the serif typography that, you know, and, and I, you, I feel like we're seeing that aesthetic like all the time now. Um, and so, again, you're always kind of playing with, well, do we want to lean into that and kind of fit the certain language that's happening? Or do we want to counter program against that and do something that's 
you know, unique, but potentially could be confusing if people don't understand it's, you know, fitting a certain um, category, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there seems to be an interesting, almost, is this the right word? Is paradox the right word? I don't know if that's the right word or not, but we're going to go with it, but I'll describe what I'm, what I'm trying to say Sure. is when we talk about like the beiges of you mm-hmm. know, him and Dame and, and there's like this weird, I don't know if it's weird, but there's a movement towards like no color. And then you have these other brands that are just like very vibrant in, mm-hmm. in their, um, in yeah. their like, like Dr. Bronner's magic soap has like all sorts of like a cornucopia of different colors and there's text all over the place and like they yeah. kind of have their own brand. Right. And then, and then, but it seems like more and more and more brands are just getting more towards like grayscale and beiges. And um, we were talking before the call that yeah, I believe it was Vicky Stroll. Uh, so shout out to Vicky that posted an article about how that's not just my perception. That's true. Um, is that part of the balancing act is not only kind of overall aesthetic, but certainly color and color scheme and mar- target market like that's sure. part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's huge. And, you know, we were chatting a little bit before, but, you know, we were talking about brands and, and kind of the, the roles of color and gender and how that kind of plays out across these brands. And it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And I certainly don't have the answers. I'm more just kind of seeing these things and interested in it, but, a lot of the brands that have, you know, kind of come out as gender neutral really play in these kind of color spaces that are devoid of color. You know, it's the grays, it's the beiges, and and it's because there are so many long kind of standing associations with one gender or the other with sets of colors. Um, but I've I've always been I, I've been fascinated with that as a, as I've been seeing it because I am like a real lover of color and my fine artwork, et cetera. I've always really just loved color and like the expressiveness of color. And so it makes me curious where that's going. And like, I'm hoping that color, um, you know, can start to come into that space in a bigger way because it, 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 it might be a little sad if, you know, in the future, everything just kind of trends towards gray, you know? Yeah, no, that would be, uh, that would, that would certainly be sad. And, and I do think that there are certain segments of society that we could probably look at. And like, to your point, you can't go to, well, like I'll give you examples. So um, the, I think it's the Jordan 14 shoe was designed mm-hmm. off of uh, Ferrari that Michael Jordan loved. Right. So he went yeah. to, yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's Tinker, uh, Tinker Hatfield or not, but whoever the designer yeah. was Nike and said, Hey, I want you to design this shoe based off of this Ferrari look. And so right. that's what, that's what he got. Um, you know, so, so, but you can, you can go pull from other industries, but you can't do it. Like you couldn't put, you know, actual physical tires on a pair of sneakers and be like, here you go. Like you had to just lightly borrow from it. But I do think that potentially there are some brands on their packaging that could borrow from even like the sneaker world, right. Where we're seeing, you know, my son's AAU team, it's like he's 15 and everyone's got on, every boy has on, you know, pink or yellow or fluorescent mm-hmm. or purple, like the more historically, you know, historically associated feminine colors, like, yeah, that's what they play with. And it might yeah. be interesting to see if we can, if, if that pulls through, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, obviously 
Nike has, you know, and it's fashion. So that, you know, fashion's always kind of on the cutting edge of things, but like, I've always thought of Nike and I think most people do as like a serious performance brand and to see what they're doing with color, especially in the, in, in the masculine space, you know, in the men's shoes, for example, um, <clears throat> to your point, they're using a lot of colors that I think people would associate uh, traditionally associate with feminism. Fem sorry, I'm losing my ability to speak here. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, almost five o'clock on a Friday. I think it's caught up to me, but you know, <laughs> these colors that are traditionally would be considered female colors, you know, like you said, yeah. pinks, pastels, purples, those kind of things. And, 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 and they've been able to do it and it's been a brilliant strategy for them, obviously, because now they can launch every shoe in 20 colorways and just, you know, continue to sell it, sell it, sell it. And, um, but yeah, I think as we start to get into the world of like consumer package goods, obviously it's not fashion. So things are catching up a little bit more slowly, but you know, one of the brands that, that, you know, I've been looking at is, is Harry's and they started um, in a much more kind of masculine color space. They were this kind of deep teal color. It felt like it came from the world of kind of traditional men's grooming, you know, but updated. Um, and then recently I've been noticing that they've been advertising to women, you know, to buy the razors, et cetera. And they also just restaged their packaging and they put, they chose a more um, vibrant kind of bright blue. Um, and so that, that to me is almost starting to get into a gender neutral space, but doing it with color, which I think okay. is really interesting. <clears throat> it turns out, I didn't know this, but I was doing a little reading the other day and in, in adult men and women, blue is one of the, the top colors. It may be the top color for both sexes. So it's like, even though traditionally you think of baby blue as being a, you know, a color for baby boys, et cetera. Um, it is kind of a gender neutral color. And so I think they've done some really interesting things. And again, if you look at their razors, the way that they're doing the handles, they've started to add some colors, like they have orange and they have like, it's kind of aqua seafoam color. And so I think they're, you know, I don't know if they're technically gender neutral at this point, but they, they seem like they're pointing that direction, trying to appeal to both. And, um, you know, and it's interesting too, because they have a, a, a brand of razors that are targeted to women called Flamingo. And so I'm curious, you know, how they'll kind of manage that moving forward, because it seems like they've been um, trying to do it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if, if anyone from Harry's is listening, uh, I'm a very bald person and I use a lot of razors and it, you know, if you want to, <laughs> the podcast, fine. I'll, I'll, there you go. I'll, I'll, I can get paid in razors. Um, well, Clark, that I agree. I think it's super fascinating. Um, I'm really glad, and I mean this with all sincerity, I'm glad there are people like you out there that are out in front, that are looking at the trends, that are you know following different things that are happening, that are helping to guide brands in, into, into the right places for them, right? Like doing the hard work, being part of that process. Um, because it's certainly like, I'm terrible at it. I'll be honest with you. And, um, I'm super, super grateful for, for people like you and for companies like Chase Design Group. So, um, we're here at the end of our time. It always goes by quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be really curious, uh, if you just would share how the heck do people get in touch with you? How do they reach out? If they got, you know, who are the kinds of people that typically would reach out to you? You get, you get some time to pitch and okay. do your thing. Well, we uh, probably the easiest way to get to us is through our website. So it's chasedesigngroup.com. And um, we, like I said, we do branding and 
Um, packaging is, is our primary focus, but we do a lot of different design as well. And I think anybody that's looking to launch a brand or restage their brand <clears throat> specifically in the kind of CPG space, we could certainly help with that. And um, yeah, I think that's it. And it's going to become super important as we navigate through whatever economics economists are calling, you know, like recessionary time. I have no idea this. If I don't know anything about fine art and color theory and branding, like I definitely don't know about economics, but <laughs> uh, you know, having taking the time to really focus in and hone in on your brand, especially if you're a, a you know, a D to C and a retail CPG company, it's yeah. really, really critical right now because you just can't, you can't afford to get lost um, on yeah, for sure. or, or online. So yeah, um, totally agree. And uh, Clark, if they wanted to reach out to you, would would LinkedIn be appropriate for them to reach sure. out? Or not really, yeah. not so much. I I have to admit, I don't spend a ton of time there, but I do periodically check in. So certainly, LinkedIn okay. is is absolutely fine. Got it. Cool deal. Um, and I've also got a note here to connect you. Uh, if you don't know my friend Avelio Matos, you should be on his uh, Package Design Unboxed uh, podcast as well. I think awesome. That. Yeah. Or, no, I'm sorry. He's changed. Sorry, Avelio. It's just packaging unboxed <laughs> I forgot. okay okay ah, totally ruined his whole brand thing but that's okay uh but avelio is great everyone should check out his stuff uh clark thanks so much everyone go to chasedesigngroup.com uh, to get connected up with um uh, what they're doing over there really appreciate your time it was super insightful um yeah thanks awesome great. thank you yeah i appreciate it hey congrats you made it to the end of the podcast if you're looking for more great podcast material in the packaging industry, please check out Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors and the newly redesigned Package Unboxed with Avelio Matos. Go find them wherever you listened to this podcast. Thanks, everybody.